We've been learning about renewing our mind, and we're going to continue tonight to help locate your mind. So if you wonder where your mind went, <laughs> we'll tell you where it's supposed to be. Praise God. I'm going to start back in Romans chapter 12, our primary verse here. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We've studied this before and gone over it. But Paul writes and says, And do not be conformed to this world. So there's three things in here he says. One thing to do not, one thing to do, and then why. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We see that the word conformed means to be pressured from the outside like a mold. To be made to look on the outside like the mold that's pressuring you. We've used the example of a mint that takes a piece of metal and presses onto it by this mold the outline of a quarter or of a nickel or of a dime or of a penny. And so you'll see the imprint. I don't know whatever it is. I don't think I have one in my pocket right now. Let's say it's a, it's a, it's a penny with, nickel, with Lincoln's profile on it. Well, that copper piece of metal doesn't have his profile on it. That profile comes from the pressure of a mold. It's pressured down on it. And now the, the outside of that coin has the image of it, the inside of the mold. That's what that word means. And we've talked about the fact that Satan wanted to keep you from coming to Christ, but he couldn't do that. So having failed at that, his, next back, his fallback position is to keep what God's done inside of you from every coming to the outside so anybody else can see it and it makes a difference in their life. Satan, knowing that, puts pressure on you from the outside with the systems of this world, with the way the world thinks, the way the world operates, the way the world looks at things. That's what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. Puts pressure on you, not only that, to puts pressure on you through circumstances, through time, through your energy, through all kinds of distractions. In many of our lives, there are good things in our lives that God didn't bring into our lives. Not everything that's good in your life came from God. Good things in your life can be a distraction. Good things in your life can rob you from what God's best is. So we need to learn to discern what has come from God and what is good that hasn't necessarily come from God because the good may be to rob you from what God wants to do in your life. And so, so, but that pressure of time, that pressure of circumstances, even good things in your life can pressure against you to make you act on the outside contrary to what you really are on the inside. And Paul says, don't do that. Then he tells us to do something, to be transformed. The word transformed is a very different word, which essentially means to take what your nature is on the inside and work it to the outside. See, most notice both of those have to do with the outward appearance, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we conduct ourselves. Just the look on our face tells a lot to people. And so, but to be transformed means to take the, what God has deposited in you and work it to the outside so that it can affect others. And the third thing he says in here, why is this so important? So that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we discovered that you and I are part of a great cosmic trial that's going on where God is establishing testimonial evidence of something and you and I are his witnesses of that testimony. And so what God's put in us as it comes to the outside is a testimony to others of the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love of God. You are living proof of what God's grace and mercy can do. Not living proof of how smart you are, how good you are. Not living proof of how powerful God is or how wise God is. But you are living testimonies, living witnesses of the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. So God can show you to the angels and say, see what I could do with such a mess like you, with my grace. And so that's what we're looking at. And we've looked at and seen that, 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 that we went through, went through scriptures to show what it is that God put in us when we came to Christ. We went through Ephesians 1 and we've looked at other places and we saw all those things we're not going to go back over. That God washed you, made you clean, you're holy and pure in His sight. That God may adopted you as a child. That God gave you an inheritance. That God put His own spirit in you. God lives in you. He's given you His wisdom. He's lavished His grace upon you. And we went on for two Wednesday nights about things that God has put in us. Not will put on us. He's not talking about when we get to heaven. Things God has put in us 
already now. Sitting in your blue chair, you have in you the glory of God. Sitting in your blue chair, you have the life of God. Sitting in you, in your blue chair, you have the peace of God, the wisdom of God. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Sitting in that blue chair, tired, bored, asleep, whatever you feel like right now, the power that raised Christ from the dead is in you now. And then we look, all right, if it's in me now, how come I don't see it in my life? And we learn that there's two sides of things with God. There's the side we call the, 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 the legal side. That's God's side of the transaction. That's what God's already done. If we don't understand this difference, we get confused. Because just because God's done something and it's established even in me doesn't mean I'm experiencing it. Because the other side, which is the side I'm experiencing, we call the vital side. Vital means alive, what I'm experiencing. And so what we saw is that the, the renewing of the mind is the process by which God takes what he's put on the inside and works it to the outside. It's not by prayer. Prayer can help. It's not by fasting. We've got a fast coming up. That can help in the process, and we'll learn that further down the road. But the essence of the process, according to Romans 12, 2, that God takes what's on the inside of us and makes it real or alive or vital on the outside is by renewing our mind. And now we're finding out why the mind is so important in that process. And so we've talked before about the, 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 the two different realms. You've got to understand the two different realms of existence. There's the spirit realm, which is the realm in which God dwells in. That's a realm where, where, where uh, things exist, but they can't be detected by your five senses. So you can't smell it, taste it, see it, hear it, or feel it. But it exists. So you can't smell, taste, fear, any one of those five senses. God, but he's real. He exists. The problem is you and I spend almost all of our time living in a body that comes from the other realm, which is the material realm. The material realm is the realm of existence where something exists and you can detect it with one or more of your five senses. And it's the realm that God created in the beginning, in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not the heaven where he lives, the spiritual atmosphere around this earth. So we've looked at all of that. So we've seen there's a spirit realm that's real, that exists, it never changes, it's eternal, it's where God lives. Then there's this natural material realm that God created, and that realm is temporary, it's decaying, since it's under the curse now, it's temporary, it's decaying, it's detected with your five senses. And your body is part of that realm. You are not your body, though. There's a part of you that the Bible refers to as your spirit. That's the real you. It's from that spirit realm. So you are made up of two parts, from one from each of those two kingdoms. There's the spirit part of you, which is the real part of you. That's the eternal part of you. That's one of the eternal parts of you. And so that's the part of you that when you came to Christ was changed. Your hair didn't change color. Your eyes didn't change color. Your skin didn't change color. Because that was not the part God changed. He changed the inner essence of you. You've heard me use the example before when people come forward that what we try to do is to improve our lives by changing our behavior. We try to change who we are by changing how we act. That's before we come to Christ. And I share with people, that's like taking the apple tree in our front yard and deciding to change it into a pear tree by gluing pears to it. If you don't know anything about trees, you may drive by it and say, oh, that's a nice looking pear tree because I see pears hanging from it. But as we all know, the first rain and wind that comes along, those pears aren't going to stay glued to that tree because they didn't come out of the tree. I stuck them on it. And that's what your good works are like. When you try to act better, act wiser, act holier, act better, by your own efforts, you're sticking pears on an apple tree. And what God says, no, I've got to change the nature of the tree to change the nature of the fruit. And so God comes inside of you, deposits his nature in you, and the rest of your life is the process of working that fruit. The Bible calls it in Galatians the fruit of the Spirit. Working that fruit to the outside so that you're producing what it is your nature to do. And that's what the battle is, and we're going to see that more clearly. Okay, now let's get into uh, some of the things that we were looking at last time.
See if we can get this to work. Whoops. Let's go back. First slide. Okay. All right. So what we've seen is that we are a spirit. That's who you are. You are a spirit. That's from the spirit realm. Your spirit lives in a body. That's the part of you that you're the most familiar with. Two different realms of existence. What we saw before, that line down the middle, shows that your spirit and your body cannot have direct contact with each other. Because by definition, your spirit is something that exists that can't be detected by your body, by any one of your five senses. So your spirit can't detect your body, and your body can't detect your spirit. So God's given you a third part of you called your soul. And your soul bridges your spirit and your body. So your body can communicate with your soul, with your spirit, through the soul, and your spirit can communicate with your body only through the soul. That's unless something supernatural happens. But we're talking about things that are not supernatural, but in the normal course of events. So your soul is an eternal part of you. When your body ceases to function, your spirit and your soul are going to go one of two places, and they're going to go there together. We've talked about the fact that some people teach you that the spirit and the soul are the same thing. But I've showed you in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 where the Bible says, talks about your entire spirit, soul, and body. Where Hebrews 4 talks about the word of God can divide between the spirit and the soul. Not only that, we see, and we're going to see again in a few minutes, that just as you're made of three separate parts, God, we're made in God's image. God has three separate aspects to him also. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that these three parts of you function in a very similar roles to the three parts of God, Father, Soul, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we're going to look for a moment or so at, this, at the part of you that is your soul. The part of you that is your soul. All right. And this is the part we looked at last week. So you've got your spirit and you've got your body and then you've got your soul. Your soul is made up of three parts. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now the whole purpose of this study we're going through right now is to help you understand what part of the entirety of you your mind is. Because for some of us, we think our mind's everything. I told you, I was raised in a family and among people where the mind was everything. The more intelligent you were, the better person you are. The better school you went to and the better grades you were, that's how you were evaluated. So you were evaluated based on how smart you are and how bright you are and how well you could use your mind. But I shared with you, I have relatives that as bright as they were, ended up drunk in gutters and in bondage to all kinds of things that they, their mind could not get them out of. Because there's other aspects to life aside from your mind because your mind was only designed to function for, one, for a particular role. And unless you understand that role, you will try to use your mind for things it was not intended for. And I, one of the first things they tell you when you buy a... a, 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 a a device. A, 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 I'm looking for a word. I can't think of it. Uh, a what? Vote on it somewhere. Somebody vote on it. <laughs> Some kind of electronic device or electrical device. You know, a mix master or a sweeper or something like that. You open the book, unless you're like most of us men, you open the book of instructions. And the first two pages are hazard warnings. Don't stick it in water and plug it in. You know, real sophisticated things like that. You know, don't take it apart if you're an idiot and don't know what you're doing. You know, don't try to fix it yourself. Uh, so there are warnings of what not to do. Then there's basic instructions of how to use it. What things you should use it for and what things not to use it for. Unfortunately, our brain doesn't come with us. Well, it does come with a set of instructions that most of us don't discover until it's too late after we've unpacked the box and find out it's down there with the packing supplies, oh, that's why it didn't work. Because you pull out the instructions, and as a last resort, you go to what the manufacturer's manual tells you to do with it. Well, you have sitting in your lap the manufacturer's manual for how you were designed. And so that's what we're learning. So we're going through this because now we're going to get down. We've looked at the part of you that's your spirit. We've looked at the part of you that's your body. Now we're looking at the part of you that's your soul, and we're finding your soul has three parts to it. Your mind, your will, 
and your emotions. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your emotions, of course, are your feelings. We're familiar with that. Anger, fear, discouragement, joy, happiness, all those things. And those are kind of the flavor of life. Your emotions are for your soul what your taste buds are for your appetite. The purpose of eating, God's purpose for eating, is to provide fuel for your body so that your body can have energy and function and while you're smaller to grow. That's God's intent for it. We've taken that function and we've used it for other purposes, to comfort ourselves, to, 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 to cover things, to all kinds of things. And when we use it for a purpose that God did not intend it for, we abuse it and we find out that it doesn't work right. And that doesn't, but on the other hand, although food is for the purpose of providing nourishment for our body, God doesn't want that to be some bland, unpleasant experience. So he's given us taste buds. Taste buds have several functions. One is to help us discern what's safe to eat from what's not safe to eat. So when you find that piece of foil in the back of your refrigerator and you can't remember what it was left over from and you take it out and you smell it and then you decide to taste it and go, your taste buds are performing in function for you, giving you a warning. That's why they're put at this point of the digestive system so that you can use some discernment to not go any further with it. And if I remember correctly, bitter's at the very end. So it's your first indication if it's bitter, oh, something's wrong. I better let the brain now function to decide based on what I know this food is and my tongue's telling me it's bitter, is it smart to put it down any further in this system? So, but on the but in addition to that, God gives you taste buds so that you can enjoy the experience. God's not against us enjoying things as long as we're not ruled by the enjoyment. And so our taste buds are for the purpose of discerning what's wise to eat, but also for the purpose of enjoying what we eat. But you've got to learn as an adult to not eat what you eat based on simply the enjoyment of it. That's what a child does. A child decides what they want to eat based on how good it tastes. And as we mature, we're supposed to learn to make better choices as we mature. And of course, we're all maturing, so we learn to eat things that may not be the most pleasant to eat, but we know they're good for us. Don't we all eat those things? Right. And we don't just eat the things that just taste good, do we? Because we're mature. I knew you were. Okay. All right. Okay. In the same way, your emotions are given to you for those same basic two purposes. They're also a warning sign. Now, you don't hear a lot about this in the faith movement, but your emotions are a warning sign that if you're starting to feel discouraged, if you're starting to feel depressed, if you're starting to feel those things, that's a sign something's wrong somewhere. That's like the food from the back of the refrigerator that's just something doesn't taste right here. That's a sign that there's something off somewhere so that we'll get help. We'll find out what's wrong. By the same token, your emotions are also there to enjoy life. God's not against us being happy. In fact, the Bible says in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. God's not this big sourpuss in the the sky that's just ready with a big stick if you laugh or have fun, even in church, especially in church. My goodness, if you laugh at something in church, oh, you're going to hell. I mean, goodness. No, God's fun. Jesus had to be fun. Kids hung out with him. Kids don't hang out with people that are boring and religious and pickle pusses. They liked being around him. Why? He was alive. He was fun. So we need to learn to be a little more Christ-like and have fun. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is when we're governed by our emotions. When our emotions tell us who we are and where we are and what's going to happen. And we're so conscious of our emotions, we let our emotions hold us prisoner. 
And we get up and say, oh, I feel so terrible today. And we just, the more we talk about how terrible we feel, the more terrible we feel. We'll learn why later on. And the more you think about how terrible you feel, the more terrible you feel, the more you dig. It's like, it's like a car being stuck in mud in New England trying to get out by spinning the wheels. You just get deeper and deeper and deeper in. Why? Because you're deciding what reality is based on your emotions. They weren't given to you for that purpose. Your mind is made up of your thoughts, your memories, your intelligence. It's the thinking, obviously the thinking part of you. It's the thinking part of you. But the will, the will is the most important part of your soul. You don't hear a lot about it. The Bible talks a lot about it, but you don't hear a lot about it. Your will is the part of you that determines what you're going to do, where you're going to go, what you're going to say. It determines how you're going to feel. It determines everything you're going to do. God made you in His image. God made you in His image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. In fact, let's turn there. God's made the heavens, the earth, the sky, the sun, and all the things... In verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image. If you go and read the rest of cha- all of chapter 1 and you read chapter 2, you'll discover that the only thing God said He made in His image was man. Let us make man in our image. I'm going to move to the next slide now. Let us make man in our image. The part of God that makes you and me like God more than anything else is our will. The power to decide. The plants don't have the power to decide. Animals don't have the power to make conscious decisions. They may be, a, may be a, able to make decisions that they're trained to make, but they can't make a free will, rational, worked through decision. Because God didn't give them that ability, but He gave it to you and to me. And if you notice, if you study the Scriptures, that is a part of you that God will not and cannot violate. He will not violate your will for several reasons. First of all, He gave it to you to exercise. One of the things we'll see about God is when God gives something, He doesn't take it back. When God gives it something, He entrusts it to us and expects us to use it properly. And if we don't use it properly, He doesn't take it back and give it to somebody else. Now, we may do that, but God doesn't do that. He gives you something. He gives you an ability. He gives you the responsibility. And then He says, you'd use it. And you use it with the best judgment you can. So God gives you a will. If God was willing to violate our will, he, there would not be one person that would go to hell. Because if there's anything God does not want, it's for one soul. Because the Word of God says it's not His will that any should perish and fall short of the glory of God. It's not His will. So therefore, if God could do it, He would make everyone choose His Son and everyone go to heaven. But the reality is, unfortunately, that the majority of people don't exercise their will that way. So the will is the part of you that God gave you that's most like Him that determines what you will do and what you won't do. I've used this example before, but it's such a clear example, and I'm convinced this is why I went through this experience. The school I graduated from, they, you, had to take, you had to take a sport. They didn't have gym, you had to take a sport. And, and, uh, and I love sports. I've always enjoyed sports, and I really particularly back then liked basketball. Unfortunately, my desire level and my skill level weren't anywhere near each other. <laughs> So they had mercy on me and they put me on the team, but they didn't put me on a team as a player. They put me on the team as a manager. Now, for those of you that are baseball fans, that sounds wonderful. But a basketball manager is not the coach. He's the guy that catches the towels and brings the water out to them. So I was the dirty towel picker-upper 
And, but I always got to be in the locker room. I got to be in the, in, the, in the practice sessions. And I'm convinced I went through that experience for one day, one lesson that I saw that changed my life. It was the day the coach, we had an excellent coach, and he was teaching defense. This is a high school team. And we were pretty good. We were tied, I think, for the, for the league championship. And we had guys, I mean, you know, you know, guys, we want to shoot the basket. We want to score. We want to dunk. Of course, we didn't dunk back then. But we want to shoot the basket. This was before the three-point line. This is when some guys shot the foul shots. I'm dating myself now. Anyway, but, but my point is, that, you know, guys want to score. They want to hit the baskets. They want to be the top scorer. But this coach was smart enough to know that most games are won by defense. So he was trying to teach these high school males (laughs) to learn how to defend against another male who wanted to score and be the high scorer on his team. And so he was teaching them this lesson. He said, when that your 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 opposite is coming down the court with a basket and he's dribbling that basketball, he's gonna want to get you out of the way. Well, he can't push you out of the way, that's a foul. So he's going to try to deceive you. That wasn't the word he used. That's a biblical word. He's going to try to fake you by thinking he's going one way when he's really going to go another way. He may do it with his head. He may come down and lean his head this way. Don't watch his head. Don't watch his eyes because his eyes can look one way and he can go another way. His head can fake one way and his body can go another way. Don't watch his hands because his hands can go like this and then move over here. Don't watch his feet, because his hand, head, his eyes, his hands, and his feet can all go one way temporarily and then move another way without changing momentum. Well, coach, what do we look at? He says, there's one part of that man's body he can't fake with, and that's right here in his midsection. It's where the center of gravity is, because where that center of gravity goes, the head the eyes, the feet, and the hands are eventually going to go also. So he may throw his hands over here. He may stick his foot over here. He may wag his head over here, but his belly, he's going to go where his belly goes. That same principle is true of your will. Your emotions may go one place. Your intentions may go someplace. Israel was full of examples of that. Oh, God, we'll serve you with all our heart. God, wherever you go, we'll go. Whatever you call us to do, we'll do. And they didn't do what they said they'd do. Why? They had great intentions. I don't believe they were not sincere. I believe they were very sincere. They were sincere in their intentions, but their will was never made up to follow their intentions. Now, this is so important to understand. It comes down to this. You will not go anywhere your will has not decided to go. You will not do anything that your will has not determined to do. You read through the Psalms, you see how many times David in worshiping God said, I will bless the Lord at all times. He didn't say, I feel like blessing the Lord at all times. It is a statement of his will. David, in several of those places, is talking to his will, telling his will what it needs to do, so his will will decide to do what he should do. So I go through all of that because I want you to understand that there's a battle going on inside of you. And there are books out there talked about the battlefield for the mind. And the battlefield is the mind, but the battle is not for your mind. The battle is for your will. So what we're going to see here is your mind is designed to put influence on your will. And your emotions are designed to put influence on your will. Therefore, the battle that goes on is for your will. And understand this. Let's step back to what we've looked at before and we've referred to in our review tonight. We've seen that because spiritual things can only be expressed in this realm through a physical thing. We talked about that last time. Your spirit 
can only express itself in this natural earthly realm through your body. Because there are angels in this room right now. The Bible says we each have an angel, at least one angel. So for as many people who are on this room, there are at least that many angels in here. But they have no direct influence on what you see or hear happening here. No direct influence unless something supernatural happens. Why? Because they have to work. And the Spirit of God is here. But He has to work through our bodies. He has to speak right now through my voice, through my lips, through my tongue. So there's a process going on by which my mind is discerning what's going on in here. My mind is discerning what the Spirit of God is putting in my spirit and what my spirit is seeing. Then my mind has to pull from its vocabulary words that attempt to describe what the impression is down here. We'll talk more about that as we get into how this works. And then my voice has to actually physically articulate that out. So they have to work together to do that. Now, I said that because both God, who is a spirit, and Satan, who is a spirit, both of them desire to have influence in and through you. You following me? They both desire to have a voice in this natural material realm. And both of them need a physical body in which to do that. We talked last time about the fact that in one case Jesus was going to cast a legion of demons out of a demoniac. And the demon spoke out and said, well, if you're going to cast us out of this house, throw us into those pigs. Because they wanted to, they wanted to at least possess some kind of physical body. Otherwise, they would have been in the waterless places. Because Jesus said elsewhere, if you cast demons out, understand that, that if you cast them out, it's like a man who cleans a house out. If he doesn't then fill that house up with good things, that spirit's going to go around and bring back seven other spirits to inhabit that house again. You've got to fill somebody up with something, not just get out what's bad. But the point is, spirits want to inhabit something. Why? So they can have a voice through a human body. Now, don't get scared. This is just how it works. All right. So what that means, but they cannot have a voice contrary to your will. Because God can't make you do something contrary to your will. And therefore, Satan certainly can't make you do something contrary to your will. But they can bring influence upon you. Satan does it with pressure and deceit. And God does it with persuasion and guiding and leading and wooing. But what I want you to see tonight is what the battle is for is your will. The battle is for your will. Okay, now, let's talk about these roles, spirit, soul, and body. We talked about this a little last time. God has three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And those three parts are all God, but they have different functions. And we talked about this briefly last time. The Father wills. It's His will that's carried out. The son is responsible for carrying it out. It's like in an old court of a king. You had the king, and his rule was absolute. He didn't have to, he wasn't second guessed by anybody. Whatever he said went without any question. But he always had someone like a prime minister, some aide that usually stood at his right hand, who was responsible for carrying that will out. He didn't initiate the will out. He took the, dimension, the directions of the king and figured out how to implement it. Now, where does the Bible say Jesus is? He's seated where? At the right hand of the Father. This is why when the man, man sinned, this is why out of the three persons of the Godhead, the Son was the one that had to come and take on flesh. Because He was the one responsible 
for having this kingdom made. I don't want to go through the scriptures right now, but Colossians has it in there twice, I think. There are several other places that says that the world, John 1 does, that the worlds were made by him and through him, referring to the Son. Why? Because he was the one responsible for the creation and he was the one very far responsible for overseeing its operation and he was the one accountable for it. We don't have time to get into this tonight, but if you've taken this course uh, uh, here we give on understanding authority, you'll see that not only was he given the responsibility, therefore he was given authority. And I think it's in 1 Corinthians 15, says when all of this wraps up, What's going to happen? Is that where it is, Gordon? Because you teach it now. When all this is wraps up, what's going to happen is the Son is going to turn and take all the authority in this earth that was given to Him and hand it back to the Father. Why? Because the task will have been finished. So I just want you to see tonight, they have different roles. The Father wills, the Son's responsible for carrying it out, and the Spirit is the agent that physically carries it out in this earth. We looked last time and saw in Genesis 1. It says in the beginning, when God created heaven's earth, the Spirit of God was hovering over it. And that word is a word that implies being pregnant, ready, ready to, to explode with power. So when the word came, when the what came? When the word came. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. When the word came, released this power that was already there to create when Jesus was raised from the dead and birthed his church, what did he tell the disciples to do? To wait in Jerusalem until they were what? Endued with what? Power from on high. And what did God use to endue them with power? They were all filled with what? The agent for carrying out God's will through the church. That's why the Spirit is so important. He is the power of God to carry out the will of God. Oh, and by the way, with the church, who's the head of the church? Aha, uh-huh. the son's the head of the church. So you see this delegated authority even within the Godhead. In the same way, you have three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is the part of you that is intended by God to be in direct communication with God Himself through the Holy Spirit that indwells in you. So you've got your spirit and you've got God's spirit and they're perfectly joined together. So they perfectly communicate with each other. So when God wants to express His will through the Son to you, the Spirit of God knows exactly what to do. That spirit, his spirit, communicates it directly to your spirit. But now we got that problem. Because your spirit cannot direct your body to do anything because they have no direct communication with each other. So it has to go through the translator of your soul and the manager of that is your mind. Now we're finding out what role your mind plays. Adam was made. Now understand this. God's spirit works perfectly. Your spirit works perfectly. So where's the problem? The problem is in the 18 inches between your center here and where your mind is housed. When God made Adam, he made him with his spirit in dominion. Just as in the Godhead, the Father is in dominion. Jesus said, I only, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. I have come only to do my Father's will. In the garden, not my will, but your will be done. He said to the man that came to him, says, good master, he said, no, 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 there's only one source of the goodness that I have. It's my Father. It's come from Him. I, I, ref, I, I, I radiate out His goodness, but it's not coming from me. In the same way, God made this first man in that same order, with that same, uh, with that same structure. 
His, his, uh, his, in, within him, he was ruled and dominated by his spirit. His mind was an incredible mind because he named every creature that's ever been existed. He named them all and could remember them all. <laughs> he named everything. That's one of the signs of dominion. And God went by the name he gave them. So his mind was there to create, to carry out this instruction that he had, and his body was there to serve his mind to physically carry it out. That's the way God designed him. His mind worked to carry out the leading of his spirit. So his spirit would give him instructions, and his mind would figure out how to carry it out, and his body would physically carry that out. Chapter 3, however. Satan comes on the scene. We've talked about this in many contexts before. And what does he do? What's basically what he's doing here? God had made a commandment. Notice God did not give them reasons. Notice God did not give them an explanation. Reasons and explanations are processed through what part of you? The mind. So God didn't speak to their mind. He just said, of any tree of the garden you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, because in the day you eat of it, you will die. And so God said, you just don't do it. Satan comes in the scene in chapter 3, and he begins to have a conversation with them. Now, I've explained this to you before. He had no right to be there. Who'd, put, who'd God put in charge? Adam. So Adam determined who had a right to come in the garden and who didn't have a right to come in the garden. When that serpent came in and he first spoke to the woman, she had no obligation to answer him. And if she hadn't answered him, he would have no standing to be heard. In a court, you can't just walk into a court, even if your case is being heard, and walk up and say, Judge, I got something I want to say. Even if you're one of the attorneys, you have to ask permission to speak. And if it's just to approach the bench, you've got to ask permission for the, the judge to approach the bench. When she answered him, she gave him permission to speak. And by the way, that still works today. And when he spoke, he started asking questions that were designed to get her processing what God said to their spirit, processing with their mind. Because what he was getting them to do was to take instructions God gave them in their spirit. God had given them a mind to carry out those instructions. Instead, they begin to use that mind to question the instructions, to analyze the instructions. Because when you question and analyze something, you raise yourself above the instructions to decide whether those instructions are true, at least for you. So what was happening here, the temptation was to exalt their mind above their spirit. When they did that, they got out of order. And once something is out of the divine order, it will not function correctly. It'll function, but it won't function correctly. I'm finished with the slides. God only asks for obedience, not reasoning. And by the way, most of the time that's all he asks for today too. My Bible tells me in Proverbs 3, 5, God says, Trust in the Lord with what? All your what? All your what? All your heart. Lean not. 
That doesn't mean don't think. Rely not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. The word acknowledge Him means know Him. In all your ways, be in touch with Him. Check with Him. King David, before he would go into battle, would say, Lord, do you want us to respond with battle? Do you, what did you want us to do? Check with Him. Be aware of what He wants to do. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. So Adam was made that way. Satan comes in to throw it out of order. And when you and I were born into the world, we were born into a system that was out of order. Ephesians 4.17 says that the world do not be like the Gentiles who walk in the vanity of their mind. Turn with me quickly there. We don't have much time. Turn me to Ephesians 4.17. why so many of us struggle. This I say to you, therefore, and testify to the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. That's an unbeliever. In the futility, in the futility of their mind. In the futility of their mind. We're talking about the things of God. The human mind is not capable of understanding God. God didn't design it for that purpose. And now we've got scientists and all kinds of theologians trying to figure out God with an instrument that was never designed to do that. No wonder it doesn't work. But notice what happens. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over lewdness to work all uncleanness and all greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. No wonder the world is out of control. It's trying to be governed by the mind. I love it. Some disaster happens and our politicians try to figure out with their unrenewed minds how to solve a problem that's a spiritual problem. So they argue over words of legislation as if those legislations are going to stop people from doing crazy things. When you came to Christ, however, at your salvation, you were born again. You were given a new spirit and God's spirit, and you were put back in right order. You were given a spirit that was now connected directly to God. It was alive to God. And you were given God's spirit to provide life and direction and instructions. But here's the problem. We were created again like Adam with with our spirit's ability to rule over our soul and our body. That's why Romans 6.6 says our old self died with Christ. The result is we're freed from the power of sin. Now we're in a place where our spirit can dominate us. The problem is, when you were saved, your soul wasn't saved and your body weren't changed. So now our job is to take control over our body. That's why Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, by the mercies of God, I urge you to make your bodies a living sacrifice. And now we are responsible to take the other part of us, our mind, and begin to renew it to think in line with our new spirit so that it can begin to function and take the instructions of the spirit and begin to carry them out the way God intended to. So your salvation, that work inside of you, was a grace of God to change your nature. But the other two parts of you are your responsibility. And it happens by learning to take this mind now and and reprogramming it according to the manufacturer's instructions, so that as we begin to do that, our mind will begin to think more in line with the terms that our spirit thinks in. And we will develop interests more in line with the interests that our spirit's in. We'll develop desires more in line with the desires that are already in our spirit. 
And as we do that, the mind will begin to line up with the spirit. So now that life of God that's on the vital side, is on the, on the legal side, can begin to process over through your mind and begin to show up on the outside in your body where it can begin to prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. The battle, therefore, the battle, both God and Satan want to express their will through us. Each of us has been given a free will. God will not overtake your will, but he woos it and draws it. Satan will not, cannot overtake your will either, but he woos it and draws it through different means. He'll woo and draw it through your body, through your flesh, through your appetites. God wills and draws you through his spirit who lives inside of you. You decide which one's going to win. And there's a lot at stake in that decision that you make. Because your will and your soul is the part of you that determines what's going to happen, it is the focus ground for the battle. The battleground is the mind, but the battle is for your will. And I'll close with this point and we'll pick up here next week. And I mentioned this before. Your mind is the gateway to your spirit. Both what gets into your spirit and what comes back out of your spirit. It's very, very important. But the big thing here is to learn that although my mind is critical, it is not what is to govern me. It is merely a tool to get in line with the part of God that lives in me that should be governing me that should be an ascendancy, that should be leading and guiding me. That's why Romans 8 says, all who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. God's Spirit is in you trying to lead you, trying to guide you, just like that first Adam. And our mind has been given to us to learn how to cooperate with Him, but it, won't, it thinks in different terms in the Spirit until we renew our mind to begin to think more and more along the lines that God thinks. And we'll pick up here next week. Let's pray. Father, your word says that we are to get understanding. Your word says that as a pastor, as a shepherd, to the ability that you give me, I am to bring understanding. Father, tonight we've reached out for understanding. Understanding of how you've designed us, how you've made us, understanding of what our mind is and what you intended it to be. And Father, as we prepare to go from this place, I ask you to take the things that we've heard that have now been deposited in us, sown in us as seed, and by the Spirit of the living God who is in us, to stir on this and stir it around inside of us. Begin to show us and give us that understanding as we go through the issues of life and go through the patterns of our life Help us to see the patterns of our thought. Help us to see, Lord, the process of the Spirit of God inside of us, trying to work His way out and to move through us. And help us to see the importance of our mind in this process. For the grace to do that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.